This is Pastor Chadwick King. I hope you enjoy the ministry of God's Holy Word today provided by the Promise Center Media Ministry. Please share this lesson or sermon with your friends and family. And may the Lord bless you. All righty, all righty, here we go. Uh, we're going to get into our message, Genesis chapter 35. Yes, Genesis for a Christmas sermon. Genesis 35 and 16. While you're turning there or scrolling there, uh, we have our friends, uh, Bruce and Michelle. Thank you for being here all the way from L.A. We're glad that you're here. A little less small. Welcome. Guest of honor. All right, here we go. Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on toward Ephrath. But Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid. You have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, which is Jacob or Israel, called him Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand, my strength. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a stone monument over Rachel's grave, and it became seen there to this day. Everyone who passed, everyone who was going to Bethlehem saw this stone. Everyone was reminded of what took place with the patriarch and matriarch, uh, Jacob and Rachel. Micah 5 and 2, Micah 5 and 2 says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times, or from everlasting. So we have this interesting, unique tension that these scriptures bring us and gets our attention focused on this town called Bethlehem. And today I want to just talk for a few minutes about a Christmas stigma, a Christmas stigma. Heavenly Father, we open our hearts to you, to your word. I pray that your word would fall into good ground and bring forth much fruit. In your wonderful name we pray. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, so it's Christmas time. It's the time of the year, so full of cheer. It's Christmas time. Is anybody excited about Christmas? Are there any people who just kind of go bonkers about Christmas? My wife, November 1st, every year, Christmas tree goes up and becomes a big deal. Uh, the cakes, the pies, the cookies, and you wonder why I am the way I am. And, uh, and we, we just have fun. We just really enjoy the entire season. But this season has, has it, it always brings mixed uh, emotions, and, and you know how that is. Uh, and, and, and so one of the things I want to point out is this new decoration craze that's happening. Uh, we have a picture. Uh, maybe you've seen this. Have you seen the inflatable Santas? This is the new thing. It's everywhere. And people aren't just doing one or two. They're putting them up everywhere. I don't have a problem with it. But my problem is, is people only turn these things on usually in the evening or at night. So all day long, this is what you see. It looks like a crime scene. There are Santas and snowmen down everywhere. Let's, we got some more pictures here. Yeah, it's just, it's been bad. <laughs> One more, yeah, that was just a tragedy. <laughs> so if you're doing this, keep them on all day. That's my first point in my message right there. Keep it on all day. Don't deflate Christmas, all right? That's point number one. No, but I, I love Christmas. I love Christmas time. And, and again, I, I don't want to like be the buzzkill or, or, or hurt anybody. I, we get it, December 25th. 
is not the actual day Jesus was born. Don't boo me, okay? What? Okay. But, 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 but this is a day that we take out of the year to celebrate and remember and recognize the birth of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of great traditions that come with that and, and getting with family, et cetera, et cetera. I remember being a kid and just kind of the magic of, of, of this season. You guys remember that? The magic of the season? Because when you're a kid, everything's kind of magical. Like you lose a tooth and you get money. Now you lose a tooth and you pay money to get it fixed. Right? And you're thinking like, what other thing can I cut off to get more money? That's what you think as a kid. And, and, and so like as a kid, it's like magic. I remember, you know, we grew up in Houston. I grew up in Houston. And, and, and my grandma Faithy and grandpa Melvin, they, they, they lived in Indianapolis, Indiana. So that was like a 14 or 16 hour drive. And every other year we went there for Christmas. And I'll never forget our Aerostar. Anybody remember the Aerostar van? You remember this? And back in the day, you could take out the middle seat and have a pallet. Come on. And the kid, we just slept the first six hours. Dad left at 3.30 a.m. in the morning, and you wake up for breakfast time, and you've got your Funyuns and your corn nuts and your sunflower seeds. Come on. It's not a road trip without Funyuns. Does anybody know what a Funyun is around here? Oh, my. Your fingers will smell for a week. Your breath will smell for a week. But, man, they are the right thing for a road trip. And uh, when, you're, when, you're, when you're little, it's just, it's a lot of fun, and, and, and then you get older, and now, now you're kind of like, you're, you're kind of carrying the traditions, and you're, you're making it happen, and, and, uh, and I, I love this time, but we're, we're really trying to figure out, like, how to, how to make this, because our kids are like, they've already calculated it. They're like, we know which presents are ours. We'll make a deal with you. We'll take one back if we can get them now. We like to look ahead of time. Josh is like, I like to do an online, uh, you know, pick mine online, Amazon, click, 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 and then we'll just order them, and I'll just get I'm like, what is happening? Slow it down, you know? Kids have changed, and they don't go hang out anymore, and now it's a play date, and just everything's changing. But, but today I want to talk about the Christmas stigma and some of the things that come along with Christmas, and, and also maybe some of the things that we didn't recognize from the first Christmas and the first thing I want to just kind of remind us about, that the first Christmas was a lot less romantic than maybe what we've made Christmas. Like, Christmas is wonderful and fun, and we're trying to take away all the tension and, and put attention on, on the things that matter. I get all that, and it's wonderful. But really, when you look at the, the miracle of Christmas, it was, it was pretty tense. Like, first off, we have a, a young 14, 15-year-old girl who is visited by an angel and said, hey, you're going to be pregnant, and you're going to have to explain this to everybody, and you're not married, and this is a problem, and, and, and you got that tension. And then now we've got to go to Bethlehem from, from Nazareth. That's 100 miles because Caesar has said uh, we've got a tax and a census we've got to take. And then they get to Bethlehem, and she's probably tired and wants a burrito. And then, and then she gets there, and there's no room in the inns, and so she, there's no place for them. And so again, the, the, the point, the first point tonight, uh, today is this, is that great miracles sometimes are messy. And that's great things that God does are sometimes very inconvenient. 
And sometimes we romanticize miracles and think that it's going to be like the ravens coming and feeding us and everything, the water's going to part, we're just going to walk through it. And I want to say this, that 99.9% of the time that God asks you to step out and do something courageous for him, it's going to be inconvenient, it's going to be hard, you're going to be inconveniencing yourself, you're going to be stepping out by faith, not knowing the end result. You don't know what this is ultimately going to look like. I mean, Mary and Joseph get to Bethlehem and ultimately... Ultimately, what happens is there's a guy named Herod who thinks he's the king who issues an order to kill all the babies two years and under. That's not the part of Christmas we tell on Christmas morning. So I want to say this, that a lot of us, we've got to assume responsibility and say, hey, what if God wants to use me for something great? Like he wanted to use Mary for something great. What if God wanted to do something through your life? That was extraordinary. Take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be complicated. You're not going to know every step. But that's how miracles work. You know, there's two sides to miracles. There's the guy who gets the $100 check in the mail and goes, I've been praying for this. And there's the other guy who was, God was putting on his heart to send the $100, who was wrestling with God going, are you sure you want me to do this? Are you sure? Because sometimes miracles are messy. But what it requires is us to step out. We say, God, we don't have time. We don't have the energy. The truth is none of us have time to be used for God. None of us have the energy. It's an inconvenience. That's why Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan does exactly that. The, the, the Levite passes the man who fell among the thieves. The, the priest does the same thing. But there was a Samaritan. He had no title. He just had a towel. He stoops down and helps somebody. He inconvenienced himself to do something good for someone else. And so miracles sometimes come in a package that doesn't look glorious and romantic. It's just us stepping up and seeing the need and saying, I'll do it. Let me give you a story that I just heard literally this week a pastor tell. There was a, a pastor who um, had, had uh, was a member of the church who uh, this gentleman who was homeless came to him and said, hey, I, I need help. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in dire need. I think this was the Midwest. He said, I'm in dire need. And the guy says, man, I'll help you. I'll give you some food. I'll get you some shelter. And he works for several hours to help this guy out. He has some connections. And the, the man comes to the pastor a couple days later and says, man, I really wish the church could have helped. And the pastor says, the church did help. You're the church. How do you think it's going to happen? Like, we are the church. You are the church. I am the church. And instead of thinking of the body of Christ or the church as an institution, we start taking responsibility because responsibility always precedes authority. We want authority, but really the Lord says take responsibility, the authority comes next. Jesus took responsibility for the sins of the world, and then when he's about to go into heaven, he says, all power in heaven and earth, all authority has been given to me. He took responsibility, and then the authority followed next. I just want to put this in your heart today. Don't, don't step back. Lean into the possibility that there's some inconveniences that are going to turn into miracles, just like the story of Mary, just like the story of Joseph, a huge inconvenience, a, a, a change your world kind of thing. And then they go and there's no room in them. There was nobody saying, hey, I had a dream that you guys were going to come. So I got you a nice big king size bed with a big duvet. And I got you some, I got you some eggnog because it's Christmas time, right? We got to give you eggnog. And, and that's not how it happened. It was inconvenience. It was sometimes a little bit of pain and misery. But in it all, there was a miracle that was birthed. And there are miracles that are living inside of you 
You just got to summon the moment and say, this is the opportunity. This is the opportunity for me to make a difference. Because what we're all thinking is, ain't nobody got time for that. We've all said that to ourselves. Ain't nobody got time for that. Nobody, we really don't. We're busy. Life is busy, but we make the time. Because it's easy for us to push it off and say, when, I, when I'm feeling good, then I'll do good. We don't feel our way into right actions. We act our way into right feelings. And that's what God has designed for us. Ephesians 2 and 10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. Everybody say masterpiece. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has big ideas and big plans for your life to do good because you're a masterpiece. Well, I'm a, I, I feel like a mess-to-piece. It's mess-to-piece. That was, I don't know if that worked. But anyways, you feel like a mess, but you are a masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. And he says, I've got plans for you to do good, to bring honor and glory to my name. Amen? The second thing is this, I want to say God doesn't give bad gifts. The Bible says that every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. There's no variableness, no shadow of turning. There's no, there's no emptiness, there's no shadow in what he does. Everything is with purpose and it's, 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 it's revealed in light. And so I know that there are, there are people in this room, including myself, and I'm confessing right now, we've given bad gifts. Anybody ever given a bad gift? How many here has ever re-gifted a gift? Come on, we knew you opened it. We got it, and we could tell it had been used once or twice. Come on, that shampoo was a little bit lower than what it, you got it at Ross. Okay, you, you said we're just going to repurpose it. This is recycle. No, no, no. We, we've all had, we've all given bad gifts. We maybe have all received bad gifts. But I'll tell you this: God does not give bad gifts. In fact, the gift of Christ is an important gift that has three aspects that. That these magi, that's what the wise men are, these three kings, they were really magi. We get the word magistrate from this word. These three magi from the east, probably in the same studying of Daniel, studying the times, the 70 weeks, and the coming of the Messiah. And the, the magi realize something's about to happen. They follow the star. They end up in Bethlehem, and they present three gifts. Anybody know what those gifts are? Gold, frankincense, and iPhone. No, I'm just kidding. And, and myrrh. All right, good job. The, the, the gold represents kingship, the gift of kingship, the gift of having a covering, someone with strength in your life. Let me just tell you, when you try to do it on your own, you and I, we fail every time. But we have a king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. That is our gift. When we come under his kingship, when we come under his lordship, I'm going to tell you, there's a blessing that flows into our lives. Let me just tell you, you don't want to be king of your life because you don't have the best perspective. He has the best perspective. He sees from heaven all things. I want to make him king of my life. You know, here's one thing. When you, when you come under the lordship of Christ, here's what happens. All the uncertainty that creates anxiety goes away. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know he holds tomorrow in his hands. I know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. When I'm under what I'm supposed to be under, amen, I can get over what I'm supposed to get over. In fact, we have a saying here, you, you, you can't get over what God's put under you until you get under what God's put over you. 
And when you get under the kingship of Christ, can I just tell you, you're going to be able to get over some things that you haven't been able to get over in a long time. So the gift, the first gift is kingship. The second is frankincense. Exodus 30 and Leviticus 6 teach us that frankincense is directly connected with priesthood. You have an advocate. You have an advocate. You have someone in your corner. You have someone fighting for you. You have someone speaking on your behalf. That's good news. Watch what Job said. Job 9 and 32. He is not a mere mortal like me. Job's talking about God. That I may answer him. That we might confront each other in court. Have you ever just like wanted to have a conversation with God? Like, why did you let that happen? How did this go on? Why is this happening in my world? Why can't I feel? Why, why I feel like I'm a million miles away. And you want to have a dialogue. And you're like, I don't even know how to. How do I approach the king of kings? How do I approach this, this infinite God? Glorious God. And he says this. That we might confront each other in court. If only there was someone to mediate between us. Someone to bring us together. He was crying for a mediator. In the book of Timothy it says this. That there is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. He is the priest that brings us together. He's the one that brings heaven and earth together. You have a priest. You have one that can be touched with the feeling of your infirmity. Whatever you're going through. You don't just have a God who's up there and big and strong. You have a God who knows what you're feeling, what you're going through. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be hurt and wounded. Can I just tell you right now, you have a priest that can be touched with the feeling of your pain. You have one that bridges the gap between heaven and earth. He's not just standing with you. He's standing for you. The Bible says that Satan he stands in the heavens and he accuses the brothers. But the Bible also says that Jesus is your advocate and he's there petitioning, sprinkling that blood, saying, yeah, I know what they did, but I know what I did and what I did for them is greater than what they've done against themselves. You have an advocate. You have a priest. The third thing is myrrh. Now, myrrh is kind of a complicated gift because myrrh is the gift would be equal to coming to a baby shower and bringing embalming fluid. Yeah, here's embalming fluid for your baby. Thank you very much. Get out. You get no cake. All right. Leave the gift, but go. Okay. That that's the equivalent. That myrrh was used for the embalming and and the 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 uh, the ointment of the body, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so this represents our need for a savior. We have a king. We have a priest. But we have a savior. To take care of sins. Sins have to be dealt with. The error, the missing the mark has to be dealt with. And we have a Christ that deals with the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue is man is broken and degenerate and sin entered into the world because of one man's disobedience. But because of Christ, righteousness is now available to all men. We have a lamb. And the lamb changes the game. This lamb changed the game because not only do we have a, a now an advocate for our sin, but we also have an advocate for our shame, guilt. That's the residue of our failures. That's what inhibits us from walking in the purposes of God. It's not, okay, he's forgiven me, but now I've got this guilt. Can I just tell you when you were created, you weren't built for guilt? Turn your neighbor and say, you weren't built for guilt. So you have two options. Here's what you do. You either internalize your guilt you bury it deep down inside or you project it. Guilt. You bury it. You bury it. Compress it. Compact it. You build on it. It's there. It's eroding. 
you from the inside out, and no one can see it, but you feel it, that guilt, that guilt, that guilt, or you project it. You project it into relationships. You project it into everything you do. Guilt, because we don't know what to do with it. What do I do with my guilt? And the only answer for that sin and guilt issue, sin and shame, is a savior, a scapegoat, a lamb, one that will take it and put it upon himself. Hebrews chapter 10 and 1 says this, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once and for all. Their feeling of guilt would have disappeared. See, the work of Christ is not just taking the sin, but it's also taking the shame, it's taking the guilt. You don't have to live in guilt. The Bible says this, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. God is greater than that. You've got to give it to him. You can't live incarcerated by the, the guilt of yesterday's past, the guilt of what you did. You're not defined by that anymore. You're defined by what has happened for you on the cross by Jesus Christ. You have a savior. You have an advocate. You have a king. And thirdly, I want to say this, that anything can change when Christ comes into the picture. There's nothing too big for Christ. You say, you don't know my story. Yeah, I, I, I don't know your story, but I know nothing's too big. On Wednesday, we, we, we taught a message getting into our small group training, and it was, about, it was about divine connections and how God puts these connections together, even, even through groups and here at the Promise Center in, in different ways, the way God connects us with the right people, that right word and that right moment. And, and, and one of the guys that was in one of the groups, we had a group up here talking about their group, their experience, and he said, man, I was, I was in juvenile hall 10 years ago. Now I'm at City Hall, a believer, advocating for youth. Come on. Spoke at a Presbyterian church just two weeks ago telling his story of going from an agnostic to a believer. Come on. Baptized, regenerated, walking in purpose. Nothing is too big for God. Let me show you this. This story about Rachel is an interesting story because... Jacob kind of gets duped. You know, the, the deceiver becomes deceived. He thinks he's marrying Rachel, and he ends up marrying the, the older, not-so-pretty sister. And so now he's married to two sisters. I can't even imagine <laughs> that. And he's got to deal with this. And the, the woman that he loves, Rachel, is giving birth to her second child, Joseph, her first child, has been sold into slavery. They think he's dead. And now Benjamin's being born. There's so much sorrow. There's so much anguish. There's so much pain. It just felt like everything that could have gone wrong for them went wrong. Everything. And maybe you've been there before where you feel like, man, this one event just started a, like a ripple effect of bad things after another. And now you find yourself in a moment of, of anguish and pain, and now she dies, and she dies at the gates of Bethlehem. And he buries her there and puts up a tombstone and says, remember this moment, remember this pain, remember this anguish. And any time anyone went into Bethlehem, they remembered, oh, so bad. What a tragedy. What shame. What, 
what pain. But I would bet you that if you went through this town, you asked Christian, non-Christian, what's Bethlehem? I guarantee you not one of them would say, huh, that's the grave of Rachel. You know what they'd say? That's where Christ was born. That's where Jesus was born. Why? Because when Christ is born, it changes everything. It changes the stigma. You know, every, every city has a stigma. Talk about, you know, growing up in the south and growing up in Houston. Oil, right? Longhorns, ranchers. Everyone asks me, do you have a horse? Did you ride horses? I say, what do you mean? No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. I don't do that. It's like that's the stigma. Yeah. New Orleans, the Big Easy, Mardi Gras, the flood, you know, the, the hurricane. You, you say a name of a city and automatically there's a thought, there's a stigma, there's an idea. You think of, you think of uh, New York, you think of 9-11, you think of Trump Tower. I'm just kidding. I'm just, that was a terrible joke. You, 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 you have a son that comes to your mind. Something comes to your mind. There's a stigma. There's an idea enforced around that name. And Bethlehem, it's a place of sorrow. It's a place of loss. And it now becomes the place of nativity. It becomes the place where everything changed. It becomes a place where the Messiah was born. It becomes a place of hope. It becomes a, a place that we look to and go, anything's possible now. And I want to tell you this, when Christ is born in your heart, it changes everything. You may have come into this house with guilt and shame and pain. You may have come with a stigma from this world. Society may have said, yeah, you're this and you're that. And maybe your family and your parents know you as this. And they've got paragraphs on you. But can I tell you, when Christ is born in your heart, everything will change by the power of the gospel of Jesus. It's a change agent. It transforms. We are not what we used to be. Everyone in this room, we came needing a Savior. We came broken. Don't forget how you showed up. Don't forget that worst moment, that lonely moment, that broken moment. Don't, rem don't forget that hole that was in your heart that Jesus filled because you weren't always this way. It's by the grace of God and the birth of Christ that's birthed in our hearts today that changes us forever. And I've come to tell somebody today, you go, maybe, maybe you feel like it's insurmountable. It's impossible. This is too big. I've lived this way too long. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter how long you've li lived with the stigma. The power of Jesus can transform your life in a moment. It can regenerate your spirit. It can renew your heart. It can transform your mind. God wants to do a full work in your life, all right? You ever sent your car and, the, and you think you just need an oil change and they're like the engine and the wheels and the, the I don't even know all the stuff. But they're like the stuff that connects the wheels, the axis and axle. And you're like, I, how much is that going to cost? They're like, we don't know. We're just going to start working on it and we're going to just start letting it fly. And you're like, what? What's happening? And then pretty much they give you a brand new car, and you could have bought two new cars for the price of the one that you got fixed. But I want to just tell you this. Jesus already paid for it. He wants to do a full rehaul, body, soul, spirit, mind, heart. He wants to transform you because when Christ is born, everything, everything changes. And this is much more than, than, than just being able to deal with, manipulate the sinful nature. 
sin modification, sin management. This is about the victory over death, the victory over sin, the victory over guilt and shame, the victory we find in Jesus Christ. So you may have made mistakes, but you are not a mistake. You may have made mistakes, but you are not a mistake. And I'm going to close with this. Our musicians are going to come. There's a great difference between the sin of Saul and the sin of David. Saul had a wicked heart toward God, and God rejected him. But David made a mistake. David repented, and God restored him. In fact, we call it today the sure mercies of David. Did you know that? It means that no matter, God promised David, look, Saul messed up, Saul sinned, he had a hard, wicked heart, and I removed him and his seed from the throne. He said, but David, even though you made a mistake, you are not a mistake. And I'm giving you a guarantee, no matter how your children and your grandchildren act, no matter how big of knuckleheads they are, no, no matter the mistakes they make, he says this, I promise you, I swear to myself, I'll never take your seed off of the throne. And that's why when we read Luke and Matthew and we read the lineage of Jesus, you can't read the lineage of Jesus without reading the son of David, son of Solomon. Why? Because Jesus is that promise, an eternal king, an eternal throne, a promise. You made a mistake, David, but you're not a mistake. You have my heart and I have your heart. Can I just tell someone today, God has your heart. He knows where you are. He knows what you're feeling today. You say, man, I've made mistakes. Yep, you have. I have too. But you're not a mistake. You are heirs. Heirs of the throne. Amen? Royalty in this room. There's royalty. Children of the king in this room today. Because of the promise because of what took place 2,000 years ago, the birth of a Savior, a King, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Would you stand? I'm going to ask our, our service pastors to come up. I'm going to ask our, our prayer team to come up. We're going to sing, and we're going to just take a moment to let God's Word get into our hearts. But I want to just say this. I ask that you just take a moment and recognize God's presence right now. And if Christ has not been born in your heart, I want you to open your heart to Him. I want you to open your heart to the possibilities of what this King can do for your life. Amen? Let's close our eyes all across this house.